On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, uh, the party gathering at the Toronto Park a couple of weekends ago has not led to a huge influx in COVID cases, according to public Toronto Public Health. So what does that mean? What does that mean about what we believe? Or does it mean anything about what we believe about the way we should be dealing with COVID right now? We're also going to talk about education. Students have basically lost now half a year. What do we do to help them catch up? Well, an education expert will be talking about that. And one of the guys you see all the time when you watch Just for Last Gags will join us to talk about that show and how they do what they do. Something light and not too onerous today in that last segment. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Last night, if you were with us, we were chatting about the the protests and about the close proximity that those involved were keeping with each other. Uh, some had masks on, many didn't. And the idea behind, okay, so does this mean that we are expecting there is going to be a huge surge in cases two weeks from now, 14 days, whatever, from now? Are we expecting that because of these protests all over North America that the second wave of COVID is going to hit us? And then I read today, uh, Global News had a piece that I was looking at. Uh, by the way, before I get to today's, one other thing about these protests. Uh, there was a, an expert who was on who was saying that these protests, by the way, are about the worst possible place because for passing this because people are close and they're shouting and a respiratory virus can spread because they are in close proximity and air is flying around and other stuff. Uh, being outside may help, but it doesn't make it perfect. Well, again, this report from Global Today says that you may remember a couple of weeks ago, they had that thing at, at Trinity Bellwoods Park in Toronto where a couple thousand or a few thousand people decided to go out on a nice day and gather and it created a furor because all these people who were supposed to be in self-quarantine and staying away from people are all jammed up together. Well, today or yesterday, Toronto Public Health comes out and was asked, well, do we then have an increase in the number of cases because these people were all close together? And the answer was no, no, we don't which is raising an awful lot more questions for people now. Because the things that are supposed to be causing this, the very things as defined specifically that are supposed to be causing the spread of this virus, well, they don't seem to be. So are we just past this point or have we missed something? I want to bring in Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid. You have heard him many times on this show. He is someone we turn to when we have difficult questions about this situation. He's a health emergency expert. He joins us now. Dr. Khalid, thanks for doing this today. Of course, happy to speak to you, Scott. And by the way, I should point out a, uh, a slightly limping, slightly hobbled Dr. Khalid today <laughs> after his own trip to the emergency ward. Not COVID, thankfully, but, you know, doing okay. I, I trust doing okay. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm doing much better. Thank you for asking. Um, if thousands of people had gathered in this park in Toronto in close proximity, mm-hmm. is it Un, is it wrong of us to have expected or are we missing something to have expected that we would have seen a spike in cases based on everything we've been told up to this point? Well, the spike in cases was based on the idea that many people who were attending the park were COVID positive and because of the close proximity, they were giving it to each other. So that's where the thought behind the second wave is. So the, there was, what we're seeing now with Toronto Public Health saying there's not been a spike in cases We just have to be careful with that narrative, Scott, for two main reasons. Number one, many of those people could have not got tested. What I really want to find out is how many people who attended Trinity Park that weekend actually got tested. 
Uh, and number two is that how many of them, when they actually got the park, were positive. For all we know, there is a very slight possibility that the majority of people who attended the park were actually negative, and hence why we didn't see a spike in this number of cases. Or number two, many of them did not get tested, as we know that young adults have a, don't seem to want to uh, go and get tested. They have a resistance towards it. So that's probably why we haven't seen those increase in the numbers. Does that then suggest that at this point, uh, since uh, that we could put out a, uh, a new plan that says, as long as you're tested and you can show that you're negative, we don't have any objection to you returning to life as normal? Well, in an ideal world, when I speak to my other public health colleagues, experts, we all agree on one point. Mass testing needs to happen. So what you're getting at is mass testing. We need to get to a point where we're testing everybody. And I mean that. Everybody should be getting tested to make sure they're not COVID positive. Uh, and yes, in an ideal world, when we test everybody and they are negative, then we can resume to back to normal life. Look at New Zealand today. They just announced zero number of cases, COVID-free country, wide opening across all sectors in New Zealand. Why are they able to do that is a better question. Well, New Zealand closed borders very fast and had very drastic measures in place very quickly. Here's a learning lesson for us. We must act fast and we must act swiftly. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Doctor, this is, we've heard going into these protests now down in the States and the ones that have been up here in Canada, a lot of, uh, or not a lot, a number of doctors who have said, you know what, I, I'm not thrilled with this, but systemic racism is a public health crisis. Therefore, I'm going to say it's okay to go out and do this, even though it may be dangerous. But as I hear that, and, I, and look, I'm, I'm not going to take issue with that, but when I hear that, I think, well, poverty is also a public health crisis, and people are losing jobs and losing businesses, and, you know, people whose parents are dying, I, I think that's a health crisis, and they can't visit them. It, like, have we reached the point now where we can throw the doors open and say, you know, if you think it's important, go do it? Oh, that's a tough question to answer, Scott. Uh, let me try to be careful with my answer here because it's a very sensitive matter. I think we're talking about something that's a lot bigger than just a, a public health emergency here. I think the Black Lives Matter movement is speaking about institutional racism, racism that's affected the lives of many people and, and has gone on for way too far too long, which is the reason why it has mobilized mass gatherings of people and rightly so enraged many that are now seeing it as a right to live and a right to move forward in this country and other countries, especially the U.S., our neighboring country. So I think to be careful with that narrative, what I'm trying to say here is that many of us in public health understand that people who are protesting on the streets, that's not an option. That's a need that must happen now to, as, a, as a way to hope for change for a problem that's been happening for far too long. Our job in public health and people who are involved in this is to advise the public that you have every right to protest, but can we please do this safely? And what I mean by that is please wear a face mask because you're not being able to socially distance in that case. Practice safe hand hygiene. Make sure you have hand sanitizer with you at all times. Uh, and that's the best we can hope for. And self-monitor. So that's the other thing that's missing out in the news. That, you know, the advice is that if you go to those protests and then you come home and you feel sick, please self-monitor your symptoms, isolate immediately from anybody and inform your public health officials that you are exhibiting symptoms and go get tested if there's an assessment center close by to you. I think that's the best we can do right now, given the current situation. And, and yes, and I, I agree with your point about that, that there are many, many people out there who are protesting uh, 
truly believing in what they're protesting. Uh, th that I, I don't dispute that. I don't believe. I don't think that people are out there. Uh, well, there's some who are out there just to wreak havoc, but many, many, many are out there because they truly believe in the cause. The difficulty becomes, I think, that I don't think the virus distinguishes between those who are out there doing something they believe is truly right and truly noble and those who are just at the park or those who decide just to screw around. I, I, th I don't think the virus has a, a, you know, picks and chooses who it, who it goes to. So it's, it's, it becomes a very difficult thing to say we're, well, if we say, if doctors are saying that it's okay to go do this because this is important, does it not send a bit of a mixed message or a puzzling message to say, well, if I think something else is really important too, then I might be okay as well. Listen, I'll be very honest with you. You notice that no doctor and no politician is trying to come close to this topic because it's highly sensitive. Of course, of course. Polarizing. Yeah, exactly. So my point to you is that it'd be very ill-advised to make the statement that uh, we we're support people gathering in big groups because they feel for the cause. I think we're trying to distinguish between the two and leaving it up to personal uh, per people's own responsible sort of decision-making capacity to decide whether they want to go to the protest. I think that if they are, if you do decide to go in a large gathering, then you must exercise public health intervention uh, as much as possible. Please practice safe hand hygiene and social distancing. I think what we're all trying to, we're all trying to figure this out. I mean, the issue is here, Scott, like even myself as a man of color, this problem speaks about something much bigger than you and I. And this is an issue that many countries, and we're not just, we're not special in this, are trying to deal with institutional racism across sectors. So, I mean, look at our own politicians. They're even not trying to get close to this topic because everybody realizes it's such, such yeah. a polarizing topic. Uh, then the question becomes is, how can we protest in today's infectious disease? But I will say this, I'll end at this point. You raise an excellent point, Scott, which is that the virus does not discriminate. It care less what you're protesting for. The, and this is the point I've been trying to make recently, that coronavirus has actually won. If coronavirus' goal is to sort of destabilize economies, destabilize our ability as a civilization to sort of get ahead of a pandemic, it won. It showed us that we, are, we will not sit in our homes for too long, that we will rebel against this virus. And even though it might win, that we will sort of find creative ways around it. But you're right. The virus does not discriminate. It could care less what you're protesting for. Yeah, and and I mean, I think the point would be what's happening, all this combining together, is it probably the worst possible time ever to have these protests exactly. come up now as opposed to any other time before probably couldn't be a worse time. One thing I have not heard, though, and maybe you have and you can feel free to correct me if I miss something, but I haven't heard the health professionals and the people who are the, the spokesmen urging the people who are protesting to follow the same 14-day self-quarantine that we heard before. Has that changed or have I just missed it? Well, they're, what they're urging for is self-monitoring. And so they're trying to send this message across to say, and again, actually, Scott, it goes back to my earlier point, many health professionals are staying as far away from this topic as possible because they're nervous about how their comments might be interpreted. You know, nobody wants to be caught. Uh, making any uh, insensitive comments towards this very important and serious issue. What they are saying, though, that self-monitor. So when you go home and if you exhibit any symptoms, please, I ask of them uh, to to uh, report their symptoms to assessment unit to get tested. And if they've been in touch with close people that they know of, 
let them know that they're, they're exhibiting signs and symptoms. Because the truth is, like, this is our new reality, and, and we need to figure out a way around protests in the midst of a pandemic. That is a new way of thinking. It is a tricky one, and I appreciate you touching on it, doing your best to uh, to do what you can with it. Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for the time today. You're welcome. Have a great day. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Teachers and students uh, reading a piece yesterday are both saying that report cards that will be sent home this spring are essentially useless at this point. Since March, we're locked in back in mid-March. Scores of students have frankly done not very much. Uh, some teachers have been exceptional at being available and trying to navigate these difficult times. Others we have heard stories of have been less so. Uh, but you can see the problem here. We'll take Jenny. She's in grade seven. She's made up, by the way. Uh, she has tuned out since March. Marks aren't changing. She's done little or no work. Her teacher doesn't really go online all that much. Sally is also in grade seven. She's worked hard at home since this, has gone online all the time, done all of her work done all of her assignments. Her teacher has been online and been available and willing to help out as much as needed. Well, when fall rolls around and they're both going to be in the same grade eight class, uh, what does a teacher do who now has two students who are theoretically, practically in the same grade, but on entirely different planes with entirely different levels of instruction? Dr. Paul Bennett is one of the leading commentators on education issues in Canada. He's the director of Schoolhouse Consulting, and I love this. His Twitter handle says he is a specialist in decoding edubabble. Love that. Dr. Bennett, thanks for doing this today. Great to be with you again, Scott. Uh, nobody um, asked for this whole thing to happen. Nobody asked for school to be out since March. Has it handled? Has it been handled in your mind as well as it could be at this point? I think we're starting to gather enough information to be able to render more of a definitive judgment. And I think overall, it has been nothing short of a disaster. Um, we're starting to see the full extent of the damage that's been done. Um, it's not a criticism of the people involved because they were thrust into a situation that they were ill-prepared for. Essentially what happened, Scott, is that the school system dissolved. Um, everything shut down. It, the shift went to parents and um, the kids were left um, pretty much on their own. There were uh, great examples of teachers who went above and beyond the call of duty to maintain something approaching a continuous learning situation. But uh, overall, we now know, um, and Angus Reid confirmed this last week with a report that is significant because it actually gives you insights into what happened with the kids the question that it raised was, are the kids all right? And the answer is not at all. They, um, they're um, essentially bored. They're fearful of falling behind. They've missed their friends. And um, by and large, they're quite critical of what was offered as an alternative to regular school. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly... Again, I go back to my point. Nobody asked for this. I don't think that there was any preparation. Nobody had planned for something like this. And, I, and I'm not sure that anybody should have planned for something like this. I don't think anyone could have anticipated something like remotely like this happening. That said, um, one question that I've heard from a, a number of people is many professions, whether it's medicine or whatever else, many professions despite also not being prepared or planning for this, were able to pivot rather quickly and be quite nimble and 
figure out how to still do their jobs, hold appointments or do whatever online or from home, why has it been so much more difficult for the education system to pivot and handle this? What a great question. The education system is like a gigantic ship, um, which is next to impossible to redirect. It runs on a charted course. It repeats the same rituals over and over again. Students and teachers are essentially trained and socialized to proceed according to some uh, very distinct rhythms and rituals and protocols. And um, they are processed, um, I won't say like hamburgers or hot dogs, but students are processed in the system and they go through the same rituals. A lot of decisions in education are made by algorithms. In other words, there's a formula developed and uh, resources are allocated on that basis. Now, when you get to a catharsis like this, where the foundations of the system are shaken, where school has to be, um, uh, I guess, suspended, and there isn't really an alternative that has been well thought out or practiced or rehearsed, you fall into a situation where the school system is kind of um, hurtling forward or drifting forward without any real clear direction. So of all the systems, and I would even include the, um, the health care system, they're the most ill-prepared for a catharsis like this. That said, and your point is is very clear, that said, this was now March, so March to April to May, we're almost three months since this happened. In three months, even though it couldn't happen immediately, clearly, should, at this point, we not be doing better with the online stuff? Should the last three months have not given us an ability to figure some things out so that you know, down the road, we look like we are more prepared? Because I'm not convinced if this happened again five years from now that we're any more prepared than we would have been this time. Another uh, fascinating question. I think uh, people were prepared to give um, the school system and educators and everyone the benefit of the doubt for the first month. But once we uh, started to get into the second month, and they saw that things were not improving, they were becoming looser and less uh, rigorous, and that there would be no meaningful evaluations. And um, parents found themselves uh, becoming fatigued, and more and more student time was spent on what we now know was video games and other types of activities in the home. A very unusual situation because it was a time of fear, social isolation and families being thrown together. So it, we, may, we are trying to be realistic about what we could have expected, but I guess what I'm saying is I agree with you. I think people, as it went on, people expected more and they didn't get it. That explains why there's a huge controversy in Ontario about whatever happened to live video chats. Um, because um, it, essentially educators who who live by a personal contact, reaching out to students, getting to know them, value relationships, they were, for whatever reason, not using the one tool in the arsenal that would allow them to regularly contact students in real time. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Just before the break, though, Dr. Bennett, you were mentioning about 
teachers and they have not necessarily used some of the tools that might have, they might have chat boards and other things like that. There was a piece that was in the spectator this week from a former teacher who pointed out that his perspective was that he thought that teachers thought that the education system thought that students were very tech savvy and would have picked this stuff up. And that's proven to be untrue. Do you think that it's the students that have bailed on this? Or do you think it's the teachers that have not made it work? Or is it both? Teaching's a relationship, and it takes two to tango. And it also takes two to have an effective learning experience. I think we had the three-cornered relationship. We had the unusual feature where school is out, uh, kids are at home, their parents are essentially uh, overseeing them, and they have to work with teachers. That is a very unusual environment and not one that teachers, parents, or students are used to negotiating. So all of those things contributed to it. I wouldn't put my finger on any one of them. So where do we go then? Because in my example, and it may have been a good one, it may have been a poor one, I don't know at the start, but you have two students, one who has really applied that maybe the parents have helped them do this, but they really applied themselves and they are they have probably picked up an awful lot of what they should have learned this year. And you have others, and we know they're out there, who have not done this. And so when the fall rolls around, you're going to have classrooms with the same grade, but students who are in a vastly different learning environment or learning level. What do we do with that? Well, we're going to have um, social and educational inequities that are greater than they were six months ago. That is clear. Um, it's going to accentuate the differences. And those students who have advantages, who do a lot of reading, have tutoring, parents who uh, are educators, they're going to maybe come out um, at or where they were. Lots of other kids from disadvantaged communities who are new to the country or who have significant learning challenges, they're going to suffer perhaps the greatest. So this will be the fundamental challenge. But I, I'm in the camp of saying the focus when they get back should be on effectively starting up school in September, establishing credibility, uh, and trying to win back uh, not only the uh, students and the parents, but the teachers, because the teachers are extremely nervous, fearful, and putting um, demands on the conditions under which they would return. So I think there's a huge challenge ahead. The priority should be, and I've written about this in the Hamilton Spectator and other newspapers, the, the priority is on um, recovery, on closing the educational gap. I read your piece on adding grade 13, and I just don't think the timing is right. If the school had been canceled in November or January, I think there might have been a case that we you know, do over the year, but I think it's, it's just not the right timing. I, I really think ever, all the resources need to be focused on Operation Catch-Up. That's in every teacher, every class, working with every student. Are we going to have, and we only have a couple of minutes left here, but you mentioned about underprivileged or financial groups who are behind who may not have the same advantages. I'm, you're the expert. I, I just wonder, I mean, I've heard from a number of schools, even here in Hamilton, that are from the better off areas, talking to some teachers who have said, as soon as the province announced that grades were locked in in March, they tuned out. And so even the places that have higher finances or more advantages or whatever else, those kids are also falling way behind. I, was it a mistake 
to tell students that their marks were locked in in March and therefore sending the message, you don't have to tune in because there's no benefit. Yes, it was. We know that now, but hindsight is twenty twenty. We were, remember, in the throes of a major pandemic. There were all kinds of forecasts about extraordinarily high rates of infection. Everyone thought they were going to be caught up in it. And as it turned out, it wasn't as severe. It didn't affect families as much. And so what we know now puts it in a completely different light. I think those jurisdictions like Alberta, and some of the places in the United, some of the states in the United States where they didn't give up on evaluating students are those kids are going to come out ahead. I think those in Alberta are going to come out ahead because they actually never said they suspend evaluations. They actually um, harnessed the teachers right away. There was no gap, and they never deviated from the fact that there would be reports and there would be marks and grades. It is. Uh, it's a fascinating. It's a. It's a really tough one to figure out how they're going to untangle all this when the fall rolls around, and how the people who are behind are going to catch up, and how the people who are ahead are going to stay motivated. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about this again, Dr. Paul Bennett. Uh, you can read him all over the place. Schoolhouse Consulting is the name of his website. You can go look that up as well. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are all looking for a little escape and a little light and some smiles these days. It's a, it's, it's, these are tough days. Uh, something that takes our mind off the craziness of everything that's going on. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that does it for me. When I am online, I'm scrolling around on Facebook or Twitter or somewhere else, and I come across a Just for Laughs video, and they're popping up everywhere these days. I think everyone's having the same thought I am. Let's have something fun. Uh, it may be simple stuff, but it, is, uh, it works. It is harmless, usually harmless fun. <laughs> It is very funny. And the best part is it's language free. It doesn't matter what you speak, you get it. It's exactly what we need right now. And if you've watched some of these uh, or watched on TV, if you've done that, you will be familiar with my next guest because he is one of the performers on many of the gags. You'll see him often as a cop or as a doctor or someone in a mall giving out a sample or something like that. Uh, you will know his face, but that doesn't really help on radio. But I can tell you, his name is Denny Lavassier, and he joins me now. Denny, how are you today? Thanks for doing this. I'm very fine. Uh, very pleased to talk to you. Yeah, from uh, Quebec, Montreal. Excellent. Well, thank you. Merci. <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't do the whole interview in French. We'd be in a lot of trouble, unfortunately. Okay, um, but we're gonna, you're going to have trouble with English, too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone else told you in recent days, in the last few months, that your show is finding new life because so many people are just looking for something exactly like this as a little break? Uh, you mean during uh, the pandemic? Yes, yes. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, people uh, w um, watching more because they, they, they were at home and they watch uh, Just for Life a lot on the web. Yes. And it's all over the world, right? You're in something like 100 countries? Uh, 144 countries and wow. uh, 4 million views per day. What? That's, those are unbelievable numbers. Yeah, I mean, it are, really we, is. Uh, we are all over the world. And it's, it's, it's all over the world because it, there is no language to this. You can be in any country and you still understand the joke. Right. 
Yeah, which is brilliant. Which I mean, in in some ways, it's very it's it's a little like what Mr. Bean was once upon a time, where it doesn't matter where you were, you could understand the humor and it translates. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, they put music because well, we are talking all the time because we have to stop people and we have to explain what we want. It's it's not uh, it's not silent uh, things like uh, Mr. Bean or something like that. We, we, we are talking with people because we have to explain, okay, can you just watch uh, two minutes? I'm going to go to the toilet. So, <laughs> so uh, but, but they cut the sound. But we are talking many, all the time. How many times in your life have you asked someone to stand there while you go to the bathroom? It's got to be thousands by now. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Bathroom is very useful for us. <laughs> it really is. Let's, can we go through some of this? Because I want to know how you do these. First of all, the biggest thing is, Denny, when you've done so many of these, and I don't know how many pranks you've done, but if you're getting 4 million views a day and it's in 144 countries, how can you possibly even do this anymore on the streets of Montreal without everybody recognizing you? Well, it's, it's going to be my 19 years in Just For Laugh. And uh, each, day, each year when I start... I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying myself, well, it, it's going to be my last uh, year because, yeah, you're true. Now more and more people recognize me. You know, I have more difficulty to prank people because, because now I'm a known person. When I'm, when I'm, I'm, I'm doing gag in the street, uh, if I prank somebody, there is people around watching me doing that. And they say, oh, that's the guy, oh, just for last year, all around the world. Um, you know, I, one time um, a, a guy from Poland, he recognized me because I was in police, in, in a police, I was a policeman. And he said, oh, we come from Poland. And, and I laughed so much all the time. That I so, and I took about uh, 20 selfies per day. I bet. No, I, yeah. I believe that for sure. I believe yeah, that for yeah. sure. Now, now it's more and more difficult. I don't know, I don't know uh, what is going to happen in the future, but for sure now, you know, I'm all, almost done. <laughs> How many times, though, when you, when you guys think up a gag, and I want to get to that in a second, but when you think up a gag and you go out on the street and you go to do it, oftentimes you will have three or four or maybe five people who you show in that clip who have fallen for it. Yeah. Typically, is that how many do it, or are there so many more that you have to oh, stop so to get those more. three or four we, or five? We prank about, for one gag, we prank about 15 to 20, 25 people. And how many of those when you stop them? Let's say you're a police officer and you stop them. How many of those when you stop them, they immediately say, you're the guy from Just for Laughs? Well, it, now, now more and more, but uh, okay. I'm going to tell you something. When I'm a policeman in the middle of the street and I arrest, uh, arrest to people, um, people are in shock first because I point at them and I say, go on the side. And, and when I arrive on the, just in front of the window, they are in shock because they, they, they think I'm a real policeman and I'm going to give uh, tickets. And it's going to uh, cost money. <laughs> so they are in shock. They can't see. It, uh, they, they are not able to analyze 
Mm. Oh, that's the guy. No, because they are, they they are in in the in the head. Do you? How many times though? When you do it, then how many times when you finish? Because we always see at the end of the clip, you show the ones where the people laugh and laugh and laugh, and they're all having a great time. How many times do they not laugh? How many times are they angry? Does it ever happen? Oh yeah, all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? so on twenty, maybe there is a one or two. Uh, big, well, we we will never show them. Right, well, I don't. Yeah, we never see we them. We want to people laugh. We, we want to people mm. laugh. Uh, if if the if the guy or, or the woman uh, are mad, uh, <laughs> that's it. We we stop. Me when 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 I'm in front of people and I want to prank her or him, and I I I see in 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 their eyes, uh, it's it's not it's not good. Okay, because right. they are mad. So I'm, I stop immediately. I say, okay, we want to prank you at Just for Life, but you know, it's, you, you are not in the good mood. So, so we're going to stop. Have you ever said to anyone, they present you, now, do you, by the way, do you come up with any of these ideas or is this a team that comes up with them and comes to you with them? Well, it's, uh, me, um, I'm, I'm not writing gags. This is the, 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 the directors, okay. about five or six directors. Uh, they, 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 they write all the gags. And have they ever come to you with one where you said, oh, I don't even know if I could do that one. That's too much. Has that ever well, happened? Well, uh, halftime. Um, you know, sometimes I arrive in the set and they explain, the director explain me the, the gags. And I say, my God, you, 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 you smoke a good, good stuff. <laughs> I understand because... Because I say it, it's it, it's not gonna it's gonna gonna work because it's too it's too uh, completely uh, uh, illogical. But each time I'm saying that it's worked. Yeah, all the time, all the time. Well, because, so, uh, because I'm 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 enter completely in it, and in my head I try to put that uh, logical. Mm. So, because you know the director, the directors, you know they, they, they want they want to, to always work with me because they know that the gag is going to work. You're going to sell I it. Arranged, I don't know how it happened, but it, in my head, I I arranged I arranged this uh, the gag uh, the way it's going to work. Do you ever blow it though? Do you? I mean, some of these times it has to be so funny to you. Do you ever burst out laughing and blow the gag? Well, yeah, it's a couple of times uh, it happened to me that uh, and and you with uh, Marie Pierre, you know the right the, the blonde woman. So I like to make her laugh in the gag in front of people. So sometimes you know we laugh so much, but but it's uh, you know it. It doesn't matter because uh, there is a lot of people in the street. So, okay, next. <laughs> We're going to take the, the next. We'll get the next one. Well, there was one that I just saw, and I think you just did it recently. And I was just, I, it came across on my screen the other day, and I thought I could never have done this without bursting out laughing. You were, you were behind a counter giving meat samples and circling the parts of the cow on a, on a board of where the meat was from. And it was after they were yeah. chewing the meat that you circled the... Yeah, yeah. The crotch well, area. <laughs> no, I, 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 no, it's a long time ago. I, I did. Oh, that was it? Okay. Maybe, maybe ten years ago. 
Really? Okay. It said it was new, but okay, 10 years ago. Yes. Yeah. But I remember that gag because, you know, it, was, it, 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 it is particular. I mean, it was a special gag. And, and no, I didn't laugh. Well, there is some other gags. Sometimes uh, when I'm, I'm looking people in front of me and they have, and they have a, a big reaction, it can happen to me. It can happen. I mean, I, I can laugh. But, uh, you know, I, I, I am a poker face. That is my job. Well, you do that well because, as I say, there are parts of these. There was another one that I just saw, uh, and I think you've talked about this one before, where um, it was in a lazy river ride. People were on a like an inner tube floating around on the lazy river, and it, it looked like you were going to the bathroom and it was landing on their head. It was peeing on them, and, and their reaction. I'm like, I don't know how you don't laugh when you do that because that was hysterical. Yeah. Well, that's stuff. I, I don't know. I don't know. I. I, I I don't know, uh, but it's, it's, it's my job, because, because it's, if I, I laugh all the time, uh, I will not be able to prank people. So, I'm, because I'm in it, completely in it, so, some, so I, you know, I, I, I'm in it, so I, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't uh, laugh. How did you get into this? How did, how did they find you, or did you audition, or how did you find out you could do this so well? Well, I did uh, maybe... 30 years ago, I did uh, Surprise, Surprise. It was uh, a prank uh, show uh, from Quebec, and we went to uh, Paris, France, to do that. I start with that, and after that, there is the same people. When, when, when that show stopped, it's the same, you know, the same, the directors, and, and uh, they created uh, Just for Laugh. And uh, they, uh, they, they, you know, they thought about me because I had the experience about that. So they called me and they said, you know, do you want to do that? Uh, we know that you have experience. To, okay, I said, okay, no problem. So I started like it. That's a 19 years now. Mm. Do you have a favorite? Do you have favorites that you look back on and you say, those were my absolute favorite gags we played? Well, I have so much. So much, um, you know. Yeah, there is a lot of people ask me what is your preferred and then, but well, when I'm, I'm you know, most of the time when I'm doing uh, policemen because p policemen I'm very serious and uh, people are very um, they they don't they don't want to um, uh, how can I can say that. Uh, they don't want to be rude with the police. Right, so, yeah, of course. So we can, we can go very far on the gag because, you know, they always start, uh, they, are, they are very serious because there is a police in front of them. So, so we can go very far on the gag until the blast and, you know, showing the, the camera. But that is, I like, I like doing uh, policemen because uh, it's always fun to do that. But when I'm doing Jesus, it's very, it's very fun too, you know, walking on the, on the water, uh, change your water in the wine. It's, it's, it's incredible because the, the face of people, when they, they look at me, you know, for the, 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 in their head, they don't think I'm in Jesus. I'm a, I'm a freak. Someone in a row walking along. When, when I see eyes of people looking at me, because, oh my God, this guy is, is a freak. He's not normal. 
yeah, I'm, I'm not Jesus for them. I'm a freak. Uh, you know, on, on maybe too much acid. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. But, but it's you... so funny to do that because when I'm, when I'm, I'm doing miracle, their face completely changed. Yeah, it's well. These are these are amazing gags. They're amazing gags because they must take forever. Some of these to set up, and I don't even know how you can. I, I don't know how you get them all set up without everybody just standing around and watching. And then once a crowd gathers, it's hard to surprise anyone because everyone's saying, "Well, what's going on?" Well, we, we have a lot of you know. We, we are a team, so there is a people uh, stop. Uh, other people, uh, you know, far. Okay, this is stop because you know when I'm praying, people one person so now all the t all the the team is working on that so they stop people over there uh, because we don't want to have people passing in front of the camera so 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 yeah it's it's um it's a lot of work uh, of uh, the team worked a lot yeah it looks yeah. easy but it's a lot of work yeah. looks easy. Uh, just before I let you go, because we have to run, and I, I wish we could talk more, D does Montreal, does the city of Montreal essentially say do whatever you want? Because there's some times there that I think, man, I, I don't know that every city would be as accommodating to say, go ahead and do this. Do, do you guys, are you guys able to do almost anything you want there? Yeah, no problem. That's amazing. You know, we, we ask, uh, you know, we location, uh, maybe one, one week before, and you know, all it's uh, the it, it's a team, also, you know, the, uh, working on on the on the on the, um, the place, you know, uh, on the. I don't remember, you know. Sorry, uh, the, the the name of the when people working on the desk um, office. There is a yes. lot of people working in office. It and and preview uh, 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 pro production, you know, pre production. Yes, yes. Yeah, and they that, call, you know, the location, the, the, the town of Montreal. We're going, we, we want to, uh, to do a prank over there and in that street. So uh, we need permission to do that and that. So when we arrive on the set, all, 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 all is set. I mean, the, 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 police, know, knows, uh, the police know exactly what we, we're going to do there. And so, yeah. It's a, it's it's um, you, when people are watching that on TV, they don't know how the works behind beyond. I mean, uh, beside that, it's a lot of work. But for people, you know, watching gags, it's it's fun. It, 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 it has is. to be. It, it has to be. Uh, they don't they don't have to think about that. But I can say that is a lot of work. A lot of work. Beyond. And very creative, very creative. Very I mean, that, that's something else that I've, I, I always am amazed by, that the, the number of gags that they can come up with that, uh, that still work and that, are, uh, that still get people. Uh, Denny, I, listen, I really appreciate you doing this. Your show, hey, listen, I mean, uh, I, I know... Listen, I'm very sorry about my English. I'm not, I'm no, your English is amazing. Your English is amazing. No, nothing wrong with your English. Okay, so it's, it's a pleasure uh, to um, yes. talk to you and, and, and your audience too, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, listen, as I say, I, these are days when everybody is looking for something that's a little light and a little fun. And I think you guys are, are exactly the perfect thing for, for these days. And so, uh, listen, big fan. And I, I thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a great night, Denny. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Denny Lavasseur from Just for Last Gags. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, and how could you not know what I'm talking about? Ben, you've watched Just for Last Gags, right? Millions of times. Oh, yeah. A, a yeah how, how do you not? 
it's um again it's not exactly mensa stuff i mean it's maybe mensa to set it up but i mean it's just it's silly but it's fun it's just it's nothing that's too deep and i i think that's great right now and i am perpetually amazed by some of the things that they can get people to buy in um by the way the one i was mentioning where he was offering meat samples um when I when I said, "Is there anything that might be too mean?" <laughs> that that might have been one that pushed the boundaries of maybe making people a little bit sick. Um, there have been a few others as well, but yes, very uh, very good stuff. Um, go look it up. I mean, at four million views a day, you're certainly not going to be alone if you do. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.